this seems like deja vu, but uh, we'll get through it. Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is episode eight, where we will talk about the newly open source React Native. I am Sam Quarter. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. Welcome, guys. So anything new this week? Actually, I want to... I did a... Led a retrospective today. It was kind of cool, and I think a lot of people liked it. Um, So I took this improv class about two years ago. And I also was at CodeMash about two years ago. And went to a half-day session on improv and using it to solve problems in the workplace. So I kind of went through some of those exercises and related it back to like how we do stories, how stories evolve, user stories evolve and everything. And people really liked it. They were having fun. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think that improv would relate too well, but um, it's just about collaboration and how that fuels creativity and different ways to not shut that creativity down. Uh, <laughs> we did this one. It was called uh, Story Spines. And it starts out, you get a guy who goes to the first part of the story. He's, he makes up something. Then you get a guy who goes to the last part of the story. He makes up something. Then you get a guy who goes to the middle of the story, makes up a, a line. They're basically completing these sentences. And then you get these people that fill it in as you, one at a time and you keep repeating a story during after each person goes up so we started talking about a designer he used to wear ties then he sold them all off got a job at uh, Goodwill because they really liked his ties and then the last person to come in said oh we fired that designer <laughs> and then the very end of the story was still about the same designer well still about a designer but it became a totally different designer than the very beginning of the story it was a really interesting way of demonstrating how a user story can evolve over time Mm -hmm. yeah I've definitely had experiences where things can go awry or (laughs) things can get very (laughs) different than the original intent of a user story yeah which isn't necessarily the wrong thing. It's just appreciating right. that things change over time and mm-hmm. need to be able to adapt. Yeah. So it was very interesting. It was very... I don't know if people always see that the story can change or that the stories change or have changed. And maybe they just see it as it's presented to them, say, in a, a sprint uh, grooming session or something, and they think, okay, this is going to be it. In reality, you can do a completely different story by the end of the sprint. Hopefully it doesn't change too much, or maybe you should have a new story, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a just, line. Find... Just call it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, there's the evolving to the right solution, and then there's just spiral, spiraling out of control into lots of different directions because there's a lack of focus. Mm-hmm. Or a lack of leadership of some kind. Yeah. 
so I, it was interesting. I think for me, it was fun to put on. Um, the people they actually enjoyed it. I think, and then I was asked to do it, the retro for another team tomorrow. So I guess it couldn't have been too bad. Nice. So what was more fun, uh, these retros or all of the fun announcements out of F8 last week? Well, I think I was really excited about React Native at first. And the more I see of it, um, I think I, I've went through the, the hype, hit the disillusionment phase, and maybe now I'm kind of coming back to the, well, it could be okay in this sense phase. So can anyone explain to me what exactly React is? So what I've seen is that it's basically a component framework, and it shouldn't be confused with the web components that Polymer is trying to put forth inside of browsers. Uh, these are non-native components. They're, they have the potential to be server-side rendered uh, up front, and... Then there's a, a big uh, diffing engine, so you're working against a virtual DOM, and then you make your changes in your code based on things that the user has done, and then this diffing engine goes out and updates the actual browser DOM. And so companies have gone and made different backends for this because it works really well with anything that's got a hierarchical node structure. So um, the Flipboard guys, they wrote a Canvas backend because apparently you couldn't flip through stories on a browser in anything less than 60 frames per second. So they wrote something that has a Canvas backend. They achieved their 60 frames per second and smooth scrolling. And Facebook has taken this to iOS land, and they're working with the view hierarchy in a similar manner. So some things to note, like that I've found, and I'm I haven't done any actual code with React, so disclaimer, but it does have a one-way data binding model, so you can only send data out. Uh, getting data back in from user interactions is a whole nother flow. And Facebook has a pattern that they promote called Flux. And it has to do with routing and getting data to and fro and having um, sources of truth for that data. So that's how I understand it. I think one of the interesting things about React Native is they ported the CSS flexbox layout approach, uh, which is, you know, if you compare that with auto layout, you take away all the math and figuring out constraints, and it's it's more of a more like a flow layout, uh, but you can nest, so you can have vertical flows or horizontal flows, and it'll figure out the sizing for you. Yeah, it definitely seems like a a simpler way to to do layout. It may not be as powerful uh, as as auto layout, but it it's it's a very declarative way to do it, uh, and it's easy to understand. I think it's one of the things that it has going for it. That's why I, I mean, 
so many people are, are good at HTML, CSS, or even Android layout is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, I'm always jealous of the Android layout scheme in that they don't have to worry about calculating heights of things. It it sizes the container to fit the contents where we usually have to jump through hoops to get dynamically sized cells in a table view. Well, that that's a hard part, but for the most part, I think auto layout works pretty well. It's powerful and it it works. Yeah. It's just it it you've got to you've got to know it and you've got to think about the constraints and make sure you don't miss any or or create conflicting constraints. True. I I kind of for those with a Java background, I kind of think of it as like group layout versus grid bag layout. Or grid bag gave you a lot of fine grain control, but a lot of times group layout was the easier, simpler approach. Yeah, and another way to look at it, just by its kind of more declarative nature, and using an interface builder is kind of similar, but, uh, you know, traditionally in iOS, you know, you would say, I have this view, I want to add this view to this thing, I want to, you know, size this view this way or whatever. That's what we used to do. Um, and with auto layout, you say, oh, these views are related this way. And with React, you say, these these views are related this way, but it's a little simpler uh, way that you can say that, I think, with, with React then. Yeah, and I, one area where this is less powerful is when it comes to animations. If you want complicated custom animations, this is probably going to be more challenging, at least in its current state. Well, that's probably because of the architecture of this. Um, so everything is running in a JavaScript core thread in its own single thread. And so all of your layout calculations and whatnot are going on in the background thread. And so you can't actually update the main thread while you're doing your animations. I think I did see there are some things you can do. Like you can say, when this thing appears, it fades in. Or simple animations like that. Because uh, that's, I guess that's pretty much how it worked. But yeah, like like Alex said, there's no no easy way to do uh, like advanced animations. You, I think they have like a hook that you can drop into uh, kind of like imperative mode where you go and you know, mess with the the view hierarchy yourself, but then you kind of lose all of the benefits of of doing things the the React way. Yeah, I know they do have that for web, but do they have that for the React Native version as well? I believe there's an escape hatch, uh, but I might be confusing that with the other open source project they released at F8, uh, which is Component Kit. Okay, so what's Component Kit and how does that relate to React? Well, Component Kit was actually inspired by React.js. So it was um, the Facebook app team that, that were working on the feeds decided to port React to iOS to Coco. And that's where Component Kit came from. So it has a lot of the same 
benefits and and design as React, uh, but it's a native Cocoa uh, framework, and it's written in Objective C++. Oh. <laughs> Why the O, Sam? I don't know. I, C++, I just, it's hard to get over that for me sometimes. Well, the, the C++ part of it is more around having the concise syntax for defining your component hierarchy. So it simplifies that whole nesting of, of braces and, and things like that. So they have a rationale for that. Um, where it has an advantage over React is that it's type safe and it's uh, it's most likely has better performance than the JavaScript implementation. But it also is based on Flexbox uh, has a background thread that does the rendering and measurements for you. Hmm. So performance is, is still really good. So both both of these frameworks are really tuned to rendering complex layouts. I believe without. Component Kit was also not so um, appropriate when you need a lot of heavy animations. Is that correct? Yeah, it's still... It's that... that kind of functional approach where your model is immutable and on every rendering you you're basically every state change you're recreating the view hierarchy so you know that doesn't necessarily lend itself well to to complex animations mm-hmm. oh so it's not doing like a, a dom diffing implementation it's it's redoing the whole hierarchy it is, but it does recycling of views, so it's pretty intelligent about when it can reuse, let's say, a text view or an image view. So it it has some advantages, and they can tune that backend infrastructure without you really having to worry about it as the developer. Hmm. So they still maintain good performance. Okay, that sounds kind of similar to how React works, too. Yeah, maybe just a little different. Yeah. philosophy or implementation yeah I, probably the difference is the virtual dom versus just having a a view hierarchy or hierarchy of components but generally conceptually i think it's pretty much the same i do want to say i feel like you've downplayed the fact that it, it's written in objective c plus plus because <laughs> i've yeah. i've tried to mess with that before uh just doing some graphic stuff a while ago and uh, doing C++ introduces a whole new set of kind of integration issues that you have to deal with. And it's it's no fun. It's especially like hard to integrate into an existing Objective-C project. Well, doesn't and, it spiral out from that class file? Like anything that needs to reference that class file has to have a go and use the .mm extension? And- mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see a whole lot of Git renames going on if I wanted to put this in somewhere. And I think if uh, if you're concerned about that, the team does have plans to port it to Swift, which is a really good fit for this approach. You know, Swift being very functional by nature, I, I and the concise syntax and and functions being first class objects, I think. 
that version of it will be more easily adopted into projects or won't have that same initial reaction I think from developers that Objective-C++ would have. It's definitely off-putting seeing the .mm files and standard library references in the, <laughs> in the code. I, I saw one article, I think one of you sent it to me, that was comparing uh, ComponentKit and React Native, and one of their their benefits to using ComponentKit was you get to use the more type-safe versions of the standard template library classes. And that just made me cringe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, JavaScript is anything but type-safe. Well, Objective-C is the same way. It's it's True. better now with all the advancements they've made to LLVM. But... And Swift is a Swift version of it is definitely, I think, a move in the right direction. With React Native, you know, I don't know how much investment they're going to make in porting that to Swift, but you know, with the announcement at F8, it sounded like that was high on their list for sometime this year. With React Native and Swift? Or no, uh, Component Kit. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that would. That's more than I'd heard yeah. about React Native. Now, React Native is definitely targeting a different audience. They're targeting the web developers, people who want a front-end solution that works across multiple platforms, iOS and Android in this case. Right now, iOS is the only one available, but Android's in the works. Yeah, one of their philosophies is that they won't, they won't release anything that is not in production to the... Nothing open source that is not in production, and that's why they haven't released an Android version yet. Uh, it will be coming out soon, as soon as their current app that they're working on for Android goes into production. So it is definitely interesting that they have the same model for web, iOS, and Android, and I can see where that would be appealing to some teams, to a lot of teams. Yeah, it's learn the tooling, but you still have to learn the platform for each. Yeah, and they're very clear on that. They're not trying to build a write-once-run-anywhere solution. Their statement is it's a learn-once, write-for-anything. I'm still pretty sure that some some group of web developers who doesn't appreciate all of the different idiosyncrasies between all the platforms is going to be like, I'm smarter than those native people. I'll just make some wrappers that kind of tie similar things together so that I can just have one one code base and then they'll open source it and then all the web people start using it. I'm scared that'll happen. I know obviously Facebook and, you know, the the developers of React Native are definitely not going for that route, but I'm I'm scared that it'll happen. We'll, well see. I think we already have that. It's called PhoneGap. <laughs> it's PhoneGap, you know, Ionic, um Media Touch. Is one. There's yeah. there's plenty of them out there. And that's why you get apps that have the tabs in the wrong half of the screen and are all kinds of weird on whatever platform you're at because they're everything to everybody. Right, but React Native has, I guess some of those other platforms had Steam behind them too, but I, I feel like there's you know some Steam behind React Native and it has more potential at least than Component Kit in the short term to have lots of people use it and if that happens i'm sure something like that's going to happen 
kind of corrupt <laughs> what they've made. Yeah. Well, I think the things like Titanium came out, and they came out during a time when the JavaScript engines were slow, so they got a bad reputation. And React is coming out when we've got a great JavaScript VM now. And, you know, apps are actually allowed to use the um, JIT part mm-hmm. of the JavaScript engine. And so. Isn't it still slightly slower than the version that Safari can use, or is that not true anymore? I don't think it's supposed to be true. Do they? I know in iOS 8, it's. It's a lot faster than it was in previous versions. So you, the the difference is not nearly as noticeable. Yeah. Now that said, and this is, of course, using uh, HTML, but whenever I go to responsive sites on my phone that use like the, the sliding drawer menu, mm-hmm. they did not open up in a fluid motion. And that's an iPhone 6. Yeah. And you also have the legacy that you have to support. You know, with iOS, it's maybe not that bad. Maybe you just are supporting iOS 7, but you get into Android, and you've got such a wide range of browsers and and JavaScript engines that you have to worry about. That yeah. It would be hard to guarantee the experience. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think what React Native has done is probably a good fit if you're if you do want to do what you guys have been saying you know just learn one set of tools it's similar to uh xamarin and writing everything in c sharp uh but i mean they're not going to have those animation glitches and stuff like that luckily just because you're actually animating the views you're not calling a set timeout every you know (laughs) 12 milliseconds to move something yeah, yeah. You you just have an abstraction layer over native components, right. so it is a native app in most, for the most part. It's a and it's a you native can wrap face. your own components uh, with with React. So yeah, it, yeah. You don't necessarily have to compromise. I would call it a, a native face, and that's the way Titanium works as well. Too, you're scripting these native components. Hmm. And, but still, I know whenever you have a leaky, whenever you have an abstraction, the more complicated it is, the leakier it's going to be. And I, I just worry that one, if I need to go outside of the bounds of what Facebook has given me to say, which you're going to, yeah, you know, it's pretty much a guarantee at some point you're going to need to go outside of the abstraction they provide you. Yeah, unless you're writing it by yourself, you're going to get a requirement from some designer or for some, uh, business owner who's going to want something specific that's not just out of the box right that's for sure and then i'm gonna have to drop down to native or get somebody who knows how to drop down to native do that piece of it for me or i'll do that piece and they've already said it's kind of a lot of boilerplate of code to get existing views inside of react native and then there's going to be the problem of what happens when something goes wrong yeah, there's a debugger that you can hook up, which was pretty cool. I, I have to admit, seeing it, the Chrome development tools being used in there. But at some point somewhere, there's going to be something that just misses its mark and goes 
bump in the night, and you're going to have to figure that out. Yeah, that is one of the benefits of kind of doing a React Native versus Component Kit, too, is the is that you can kind of deploy the code live as you are developing it. There's no, like, build and rerun the app. It just keeps loading the JavaScript, from my understanding. Yeah, the, the library load is definitely a big bonus for React Native. You know, having that really short turnaround cycle for making a change and seeing it on screen. Yeah, Command R. There you go. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's that's hard to compete with. Yeah. Especially when you're building a Swift app, right? Oh, today, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully later this month we'll have incremental compiles and and such available for production. That'll be nice. Sounds cool. I wish I had that before I was going to try and submit my Swift app that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> so when Facebook and LinkedIn and, and some of these high-profile companies went away from the hybrid solution back to native. You know, the two big complaints were performance and the tooling. And it sounds like React addresses the performance, at least the rendering performance, by doing a lot of the heavy work on the on the on a background thread. Yeah. And it sounds like, to some degree, they've addressed a lot of the tooling. They've definitely made a with good better start. better debugging. Yeah. So I don't know if this is like a getting close to the point where they could go back to web technology to develop their apps, or or not. I mean, I I can't see something like paper with all of its very custom animations being written with something like React, at least not in its current state. Yeah. And I know you're going to be dropping down to native for a decent amount of the application. I mean, they they did for some of their own demo apps. And I don't know how much of that is they just haven't built the components yet or they wanted to demonstrate how how you would have a hybrid of part React, part native. Or was it just out of necessity they they had write a decent amount of native code well I can see this uh, supplanting things like phone gap in enterprise solutions I'm not and even the say the the entry point for apps like entry level apps for companies that, that just want to get something in the door or in the app store and not have to have three sets of developers for each platform you know one for each platform so for these people that have maybe have low budgets uh low sophistication requirements and want a decent amount of cross-platform at a good quality then maybe this is more for them but yeah you're not going to get paper on in react at least not anytime soon right so in terms of like the community around this and, and Facebook as the custodian of these open source projects. And I think Facebook has come a long way since the 320 days and they've <laughs> delivered quite a few high quality open source tools, components and frameworks in the last 
even really just the last few months, um, but you know the last year or two, we've got XC Tool, Origami for prototyping, um, Pop for animation, and it's just yeah. they keep cranking out some. Yeah, they keep cranking out some really good frameworks um, and tools. I'm hopeful that that doesn't wane over time. You know, they don't lose interest and move on to something else. And these these open source projects end up being neglected. I think React's got a pretty strong community around it, and I think we'll see a lot of components and contributions made to it. Well, it's definitely the JavaScript hip, hipster framework of the month. Yeah, that's for sure. And comparing it to some of the other popular frameworks, I mean, just simply debugging uh, it seems to be so much better in React than some of the alternatives right now, at least from my naive experience. You know, I, I don't... I wouldn't even know where to begin debugging an Angular app. You know, it doesn't, doesn't emit markup it all you see is the javascript so react's got some really powerful debugging tools so you can actually see what's going on well yeah. there's even its own ide facebook has kind of modified what's it called is it atomic or just atom, atom editor yeah. yeah uh to to have like built-in support for react uh so yeah there's definitely some nice tooling uh which I'm not sure how I feel about that Atom editor because it's a editor based on a web browser, which to me is the antithesis of lightweight. Yeah, I mean I've I've used it and it seemed all right for you know little text files, but I could imagine it could. It wasn't super snappy like using something like TextMate or. I think you've said it's not as snappy as Sublime, so... Yeah. Well, even Sublime is really... It's written in Python, and it's embedding... But it's embedding native components and everything to do its work. So it's, it gets its cross-platformness from the Python, and it embeds a nice Python scripting engine. So, yeah, it's not Notepad, but it definitely seems to be lighter weight than, say, Atom would be. So I'm curious, would would either of you guys consider using uh, either Component Kit or React in some upcoming project? I think I'm going to hold off on Component Kit until there's a Swift version, just because I think that'll fit in better. You know, I'm writing Swift today. I don't think I want to get into the Objective-C++. But generally speaking, I like the concepts. I, I think there's definitely a place for it. So assuming the Swift the Swift rewrite or port or whatever you want to call it was there, would you pick component kit over React? For the most part it fits my needs a little bit better. I I don't really want to get into JavaScript and and markup. I I like writing Swift or Objective C code. Uh I think that would fit my programming style better. If I had a need to develop cross-platform or jump between Android and iOS more often than I do now, then React might be attractive. 
but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on React and, and see where, where that goes. And anywhere that I need a hybrid solution, I think I'm, I would probably consider giving that a try over some of the alternatives. Are you worried at all about the potential community support of ComponentKit? It seems like React has definitely gotten a much bigger push from Facebook as far as having other people use it. Well, I think if you want to plug in third-party controls, then, yeah, React is going to beat out ComponentKit. Um, yeah, but you don't have to worry about that as much with ComponentKit. You don't necessarily need somebody else creating components for you. Yeah, I'm just thinking community support and, you know, there's people are going to come up with their own custom, say, like, there's, you know, there's a number of uh, sliding table view cells implementations out on CocoaPods. I imagine that there's going to be more of those ported to work with React than ComponentKit. If there's, but I don't know if there's uh, work that actually needs to happen for ComponentKit. Well, ComponentKit could even go away. I mean, other than Facebook's own use of ComponentKit, which is a fairly big use, I haven't really seen that much buzz or anything about it, or even like the, the push from, from Facebook. Well, React had two advantages. They had their big conference earlier this year and had a big splash with the announcement that React Native would be coming out. But they also have a big and growing community in the JavaScript space. So they already had an audience. I think ComponentKit is trying to find its audience. And to be honest, if React Native existed a year ago or before they started ComponentKit, would they have built ComponentKit? Maybe not. Yeah, who knows? There could be some engineer toiling away right now at Facebook trying to get the news feed working in React Native. Right. Oh, I'm sure that was a, a test they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is powering a very important part of their their platform, so I don't you know, unless they decide to switch to React Native or some other framework, I think they're gonna continue to support it for a while. Yeah, yeah. They definitely want something that's high performance and that's not going to drop frames. And they said they were able to reduce their code base by about 70% with ComponentKit, which that alone is, is a huge savings. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that worries me still, though, is, you know, it, it's not the first time that they've redone their the main part of their app, their news feed. So, I mean, they've been through the web stuff. They've been through their first native implementation. They've been through ComponentKit. So... Who knows how long it'll be for another change, but right, and that kind of goes back to my thinking around Facebook as the custodian for these open source projects. We don't really have a, a long enough history to know how they're going to support it long term. You know, if this was Google putting out these open source projects, I think I'd be a little gun shy after having a few projects in the past get abandoned. You're not still sore about Wave and Reader, are you? Well, Wave, Reader, I'm still GWT. pissed about Wave. <laughs> I mean... Has GWT been abandoned? Well, they they dropped support for it, but I think they're still 
some active development going on there. I thought Gmail I, was still using it. No, I. They, it may be. I stopped paying attention to be honest. Yeah. A couple of years ago. I like Google Web Toolkit. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a community there, and then one day they said, "Oh, we're going to stop." Hmm. And it sounded like maybe it's still going or still in use, but. Well, it definitely picked yeah, up some mindshare along the way. Yeah, and they had a community. They had people who had... Their own component libraries they were selling. Yeah, yeah all kinds of stuff. Yeah. They couldn't just walk away from it. At least Google could walk away from it, but the people who built their systems and does, don't have the the budgets and the manpower to re-architect on a whim um, had to keep it going at least for a while. Yeah, but looks like there was. That's a, where we did. Sorry. Yeah, you know, that's where we really don't have enough history with these open source projects with Facebook. You know, outside of three twenty, <laughs> and I think we would have liked them to drop support for that sooner. <laughs> right. I I came into iOS development probably at the tail end of that, and just long enough where people said, "No, don't use that. Don't look at that." Yeah. And not to be too harsh on the the individual who developed it. It was early days, and I think it was great. They put something out there and shared it. I think some of its downfalls, it was highly coupled. It was a massive library that was highly coupled, so it was hard to really use just a part of it. You had to use the whole thing. And well, didn't you have... Uh... Uh, build scripts that were written in Ruby or something that had to run during the compilation phase of your app. I remember something about that. Not just yeah, Cocoa Pods. I... No, there was no Cocoa Pods when 320 no. was still popular, yeah. I don't think. No. That would have been a hell of a pod. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's great that they contributed that to the open source community people got to learn from it both the good and the bad and it's good that they moved on from it yeah they're definitely a good about contributing back to the community yeah yeah i i really like this this part of facebook and what and they've got some really smart engineers that are doing solving some tough problems that other people are facing and don't have the manpower to really solve Right. And just looking at the GitHub page for Facebook, they've got a lot of projects. This is really just a small tip of the iceberg as far as all their other things that they've got out there. You know, they've they've been big supporters of PHP and and trying to get that to run better. Uh, they can't fix the language, but they can try <laughs> to fix the infrastructure at least. And they've done a lot with that. So I think, you know, taking a look at these open source projects, and I, I think what I would like to see more than anything is that Apple sees some of the things that they're doing and maybe brings it back into the platform. You know, the whole rendering in a background thread uh, for better performance. You know, it seems like that should just be handled by the infrastructure. You know, at least with like text and image nodes, I would, I would like to see some of that brought back in so we don't even have to think about it. It just happens. Yeah, I mean, we're we're still, I feel like the UI kit is further ahead than 
than other mobile platforms in terms of its rendering performance. But yeah, even you know some XUI kit engineers were tweeting uh, that they thought the model that React used was better than what they were doing with UI kit. So it'd be cool to see some of those changes come back. Right, and you know it'd be great if XC tool didn't need to exist. And I think it's less of a need today than it was when they first released it. But although it's the only uh, thing that runs our unit tests at work. Yeah, I've had mixed success. I keep depending on the project. Sometimes it it works well, and other times I've actually had XC tool fail where Xcode build works. Kind of depends what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and I'm speaking more from a CI perspective. Uh, Me too. Yeah, desktop. It's Xcode's fine, but. And our Team City build server, it's it doesn't handle the unit tests at all. Yeah, depending on what unit testing framework I use and which version of XC tool and Ruby and all those things combined, uh, it seems like sometimes XC tool works the best and sometimes Xcode build works the best. Yeah, I've had good luck just using Xcode build for my personal stuff, but I haven't tried on any other project so recently. <laughs> My biggest issue has been getting the unit test reports to be generated and picked up by the build server. Yeah. Consistently. Mm -hmm. I did get uh, CPD, the copy-paste detection tool, running on ours. It was pretty cool. It's integrated nicely in uh, Team City. Yeah, that's a great example of a tool that, XC tool, I mean, that, Apple could take some hints from, you know, Pop arguably is another one. And I don't know if Apple had seen Pop before they added the spring animations. UI dynamics, yeah, all that stuff. Nah. Well, yeah, and the well, I think that came UI first. view animations is seemed like it was around the same time, but yeah, they, I don't know. They have different philosophies. Different yeah. ways of working. So, you look at React Native and Component Kit. There's definitely some ideas in there that that maybe Apple can bring back. Yeah, definitely. And hey, we're only about three months away now to until uh, we get our new toys. Yep. Yep. It'll be interesting to see what surprises Apple will have for us, if any. Oh, I'm sure there'll be something. So uh, we're about out of time, guys. So why doesn't everyone tell us where we can find them on the Internet? <laughs> Thank you. Drawing a blank. So I am at Sam Quarter on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at AJ Robinson. And the podcast is Shared Inst on Twitter. You can find our website, sharedinstance.com. And also we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you for listening. And thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.